Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 57. We are going to delve into the mysterious and haunting depths of one of the most infamous unsolved cases in American history, the Black Dahlia. In the dark streets of 1940s Los Angeles, a tale unfolded that would grip the nation and leave a chilling legacy that persists to this day. Our journey through the labyrinth of the Black Dahlia case will take us beyond the sensationalized headlines and into the heart of the investigation, exploring the dark corners of a narrative steeped in glamour, intrigue, and an enduring sense of unanswered questions. As we peel back the layers of this mystery, we'll examine the life of Elizabeth Short, the aspiring actress whose brutal murder would become a symbol of the darker side of Hollywood's golden age. Join us as we navigate the shadows of a case that has baffled investigators, inspired countless theories, and continues to captivate the imaginations of armchair detectives and seasoned sleuths alike. So buckle up as we embark on this chilling journey into the story of the Black Dahlia. Elizabeth Short would enter the world on July 29, 1924, in Boston, Massachusetts' Hyde Park neighborhood, as the third of five daughters, born to Cleo Alvin and Phoebe May Sawyer Short. Cleo, a sailor in the U.S. Navy, and Phoebe, a homemaker, initially raised their family in Boston, later moving to Portland, Maine briefly in 1927, and ultimately settling in the Boston suburb of Medford, Massachusetts that same year. The family would face financial challenges after Cleo would lose the majority of his money in the 1929 stock market crash. Prior to his financial difficulties, Cleo was working developing and constructing miniature golf courses for a living. In a tragic turn of events, it was believed that Cleo had jumped into the Charles River, leaving his car abandoned on the Charlestown Bridge in 1930. In a shocking twist, Phoebe discovered that Cleo, presumed dead, was in fact alive and living in California. This revelation came through a letter of apology received in late 1942. Having not seen her father since she was six years old, Elizabeth in her 18th year would move out to Vallejo, California in December. Cleo at that point was employed at the Mare Island Naval Shipyard in San Francisco Bay. However, due to ongoing disagreements with her father, Elizabeth would move out in January of 1943. Elizabeth would face additional challenges after accepting a position at the PX store at Camp Cook, which was close to Lompoc, she would briefly reside with a U.S. Army Force sergeant who she accused of abuse. She would relocate to Santa Barbara in the middle of 1943, and on September 23, 1943, she'd be taken into custody for underage drinking at a neighborhood pub. She was ordered back to Massachusetts by juvenile officials, but she'd end up going back to Florida and occasionally visiting her family in the Boston area. 
Elizabeth got to know decorated Army Air Force officer Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. while he was in Florida. Gordon was preparing to go to the Southeast Asian Theater of World War II. Gordon was an officer in the 2nd Air Commando Group, but Elizabeth would later reveal to acquaintances that while recuperating from injuries sustained in an Indian plane crash, Gordon had written to propose marriage. She said yes, but on August 10, 1945, Gordon would unfortunately die in another plane crash. Elizabeth would end up moving to L.A. in July of 1946 to see her friend Joseph Gordon Fickling, an Army Air Force lieutenant from Florida, who had been assigned to the Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach. She had been renting a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard and working as a waitress shortly before her death. After a quick trip to San Diego with her new boyfriend, 25-year-old married salesman Robert Red Manley, Elizabeth would return home to L.A. on January 9, 1947. And according to Manley, he would leave Elizabeth at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown L.A., where that afternoon Elizabeth had been scheduled to see her sister, who had come into town from Boston. Employees at the Biltmore allegedly remember seeing Elizabeth make use of the phone in the lobby. A short while later, customers of Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street less than a half mile from the hotel, are said to have spotted her. But that's the last time anyone will see Elizabeth alive. Betty Bursinger, a housewife, and her three-year-old daughter are strolling down a residential street in central LA early on January 15, 1947, when she notices something strange. She's on her way to pick up a pair of shoes from the cobbler on a chilly, cloudy morning. Betty initially believed that the white body, laying a few inches from the sidewalk, was only a shattered store mannequin. But upon closer inspection, the horrifying reality became apparent. It was the half-cut body of a woman, lying face up in the dirt. The woman held her arms at a 45-degree angle above her head. Her straight legs were wide apart, and her lower body was positioned one foot in front of her torso. Her intestines had been neatly tucked behind the buttocks, and the body seemed to have been cleaned completely free of blood. Medical examiners would conclude that this person had been deceased for around 10 hours before being found, indicating that she had died either in the early morning hours of January 15th or somewhere in the evening of January 14th. The murderer had clearly cleaned the corpse, meaning that she must have been killed in a different location. The, quote, Glasgow smile on her face was the result of cuts made to Elizabeth extending from the corners of her mouth to her ears. Her thigh and breast were slashed in multiple locations, removing large sections of flesh. And after protecting her daughter's eyes, Betty would hurry to a neighborhood home to notify police. The Los Angeles Police Department would use the body's fingerprints to try and confirm its identity. They sent the fingerprints to the FBI via a device known as a sound photo which was an early form of a fax machine. After only an hour or so, the identity of the victim was confirmed as Elizabeth Short, age 22. Elizabeth's fingerprints had actually been registered twice, once during her application for a job in the commissary of a U.S. Army base, and again during her arrest for underage drinking on September 23, 1943 in Santa Barbara, California. Her arrest mugshot was also in the FBI's possession, and they would give it to the media. Shortly after, the media started releasing any scandalous information they could find regarding Elizabeth. 
It's likely if you know anything about the Black Dahlia case that you've actually seen this mugshot as it's the most famous photo of Elizabeth Short. Regarding who actually came up with Elizabeth's iconic moniker, the Black Dahlia, there are several opposing theories. Some claim it was a media fabrication, but others assert that Elizabeth's acquaintances had given her the moniker Black Dahlia. But the majority of people will attribute the idea to to Raymond Chandler's noir film, The Blue Dahlia, which starred Veronica Lake and debuted in theaters the year before the murder. But why was blue changed to black? Some accounts will emphasize her dark hair color, but the FBI mentions a hearsay account that Elizabeth wore a lot of black clothing. Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, was actually unaware of her daughter's passing until she received a phone call from reporters from the LA Examiner claiming that Elizabeth had won a beauty pageant. And before disclosing the horrifying reality, they badgered her for as much information as possible about Elizabeth. Then had to inform Phoebe that her daughter had been murdered and her body horrifyingly dismembered. Following Elizabeth's death, 40 police officers would canvass the neighborhood, searching every home for evidence or clues. They poked through dumpsters, conducted interviews with locals, and inspected gutters and laundry facilities for bloodstained clothes. Unfortunately, they didn't get any leads. According to Serena for AllThat'sInteresting.com, a week or so after the body was discovered on January 21st, the examiner got a call from someone claiming to be the murderer, who stated he would be mailing Elizabeth's possessions as evidence. The examiner soon after that, on the 24th, got a package including business cards, pictures, Elizabeth's birth certificate, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover. A letter that said, Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers, here is Dahlia's belongings letter to follow. It was pieced together from newspaper and magazine letter clippings. There would be another letter on January 26th. Here it is, was scrawled on a handwritten note. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter mentioned a location. And at that scheduled time and location, police would wait. But the author never appeared. The accused murderer then allegedly sent the examiner a follow-up note that said, have changed my mind. And this was composed of letters that had been clipped and pasted again from magazines. It would also say, quote, you would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. And once more, the individual's correspondence was thoroughly cleaned with gasoline, making it impossible for detectives to extract fingerprints from the evidence. More than 150 possible suspects connected to the Black Dahlia killing were questioned by the over 750 LAPD investigators who were working on the case at one point or another. During the first investigation, officers would receive more than 60 confessions. However, not one of them was deemed credible. And over 500 confessions have been made since then, but again, none of them resulted in anyone being charged. Elizabeth's murder had few fresh leads and had become a cold case by the spring of 1947. One of the case's primary detectives, Sergeant Finnis Brown, accused the media of undermining the inquiry by pursuing unsubstantiated stories and in-depth information. A grand jury would be formed in September 1949 to address shortcomings in the LAPD's homicide squad, which had been blamed for the unit's inability to solve other murders in the preceding years, including Elizabeth's. The murders were mostly of women and children. Following the grand jury, police would conduct additional research into Elizabeth's background, 
following her travels between Massachusetts, California, and Florida, and speaking with acquaintances in Texas and New Orleans. Nonetheless, the interviews produced no useful details or insights regarding the murder. And the murder of the Black Dahlia is still unsolved, more than 70 years later. However, there have been a few fascinating theories and suspects that have surfaced in recent years. According to Legends of America, George Hodel was never legally indicted for the crime. But after his death, his son, LAPD homicide investigator Stephen Hodel, would publicly accuse him of murdering Elizabeth and numerous other murders. Prior to the Black Dahlia case, George was suspected of killing his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, but had never been prosecuted. He was also accused of raping his own daughter, but had been found not guilty. Stephen had offered indirect evidence in the form of his father's surgical training, and because of Elizabeth's dismembered body, police had suspected that the killer would have had some form of surgical training, or proficiency with a knife. Now, notes taken from a 1949 grand jury report disclosed that investigators had wiretapped Hodel's residence and secured a recorded conversation in which he said the following to an anonymous visitor. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. And when Steve had been searching through his father's possessions shortly after his death in 1999, he came upon two pictures of a woman who looked a lot like Elizabeth Short. Additionally, he had a handwriting expert compare samples of his father's handwriting to some of the notes the suspected killer wrote to the press. And although the comparison indicated a good likelihood that his father's handwriting matched, the findings were ultimately inconclusive. Steve would also go through his father's UCLA records and discovered a folder full of invoices for outside contractors who worked on his childhood home. A huge concrete bag that was the same size and brand as the one that was discovered close to Elizabeth's body was located in that folder, along with a receipt that was dated a few days prior to the murder itself. Steve eventually put all of his evidence into Black Dahlia Avenger, The True Story, a bestseller he published in 2003. And with all of that evidence, you might think, okay, that's it. George Hodel is the Black Dahlia murderer. But there's still some doubt. Because Steve then began connecting his father to other well-known unsolved murders, such as the Zodiac Killer. Some have questioned his motives and assertions. But George Hodel is the main suspect in the Black Dahlia investigation, investigated through the TNT drama, I Am the Night. And in 1991, Janice Knowlton, who was 10 years old when Elizabeth was murdered, said she saw her father, George Knowlton, beat Elizabeth to death in the detached garage in her Westminster, Maryland home with a claw hammer. In 1995, she would also write a book called Daddy Was a Black Dahlia Killer, in which she claimed her father had also assaulted her sexually. But Knowlton's stepsister, Jolaine Emerson, has called the book trash and said as much, quote, she believed it, but it wasn't reality. I know because I lived with her father for 16 years. Additionally, Detective St. John told the Times that Knowlton's claims were not consistent with the facts of the case. British novelist Pew Eatwell has said that she has finally solved the decades-old murder, according to findings in her book, Black Dahlia, Red Rose, The Crime, Corruption, and Cover-Up of America's Greatest Unsolved Murder, which was released in 2017. 
She asserts that Leslie Dillon, whom the police had briefly investigated as the main suspect but eventually let go, was in fact the real murderer. Eatwell would claim that Dylan, a bellhop, would kill Elizabeth at the request of Mark Hansen, a movie theater and nightclub owner in the area who collaborated with Dylan. Hansen had been the owner of the address book that had been mailed to the examiner, and was another suspect who had eventually been cleared. He subsequently stated that Elizabeth received the address book as a present from him. It was said that Elizabeth had spent a few nights with Hansen, and that he was among the last people to speak with her in a phone call on January 8th, just before her death. Eatwell claims that Hansen approached Elizabeth because he was smitten with her, but that she had turned him down. He would then go on to allegedly ask Leslie Dillon to look after her. It appeared that Hansen was aware of Dillon's murderous potential, but unaware of his extreme derangement. Dylan may have learned how to bleed a body dry during his previous job as a mortician's assistant. Through police documents, Ewell also learned that Dylan was aware of information regarding the crime that had not yet been made public. One particular example was that Short had a tattoo on her thigh of a rose that had been taken out and inserted into her vagina, and Dylan knew of this detail. Dylan would never be charged with the crime, despite the evidence pointing to him. Eatwell says that because of Mark Hansen's connections to several LAPD officers, Dylan was freed. Eatwell feels that the department was corrupt from the very beginning, but she also believes that Hansen's use of his connections to select officers played a significant role in the department's corruption. According to Nakirio for the Crime Wire, son of LAPD gangster squad member Richard F. Williams, former Long Beach police officer Buzz Williams, told Rolling Stone in 2018 that my dad thought Leslie Dillon was the killer, adding that other officers believe Dillon was at the very least an accomplice. There are also claims that the Black Dahlia killing is connected to another unsolved serial killer, one that we've covered on this podcast before. According to Hunt for Mental Floss, Cleveland police received a terrible feeling of deja vu when word spread of Elizabeth's death. That's because a serial killer had haunted their community between 1934 and 1938, taking the lives of 12 victims, all of whom had horrifically severed limbs. Some have speculated that the murder of Elizabeth and the Ohio serial killer might be the same individual, given that the Cleveland torso murderer has never been caught. Now, as you can see, there are numerous theories. I haven't even covered all of the ones out there about what truly happened to Elizabeth Short, But despite all of the theories and all of the evidence, the case to this day remains unsolved. Elizabeth was buried in Oakland's Mountain View Cemetery. A few police officers and six family members were present for the intimate ceremony. And just two weeks after Short's murder on February 2nd, 1947, Republican State Assemblyman C. Don Field was motivated by the case to propose legislation establishing a sex offender registry. California would go on to become the first state in the union to mandate such registration. And the case of the Black Dahlia will remain one of the most intriguing and haunting unsolved mysteries in true crime. We've delved into the gruesome details, explored the various theories, and pondered who was Elizabeth Short. As we wrap up this episode, it's important to remember that behind every case, there are real people. Elizabeth was more than just a victim. She was a young woman with dreams and aspirations, and her life was cut short in a brutal and senseless manner. 
The Black Dahlia case continues to captivate and mystify us, inspiring countless books, movies, and investigations. Will we ever uncover the truth about what really happened to Elizabeth Short on that fateful night in 1947? Only time will tell. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Historical True Crime. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to reach out and give us any feedback or a suggestion of something to cover on an upcoming episode, you can reach us at historicaltruecrimepod at gmail.com or give us a follow on Instagram at historicaltruecrimepod. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.